Welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and joining me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today, we'll be discussing Season 4, Episode 8, which is titled Freak Show. The episode aired on November 20th, 1997. Lauren, what was going on that week 24 years ago? Well, most importantly, co-host Daniel turns 8 this week. Happy birthday! In Stranger News... Bobby McCaughey gives birth via C-section to septuplets. The babies were born nine weeks premature, but all survived. They are the first known set of septuplets to have survived infancy. That's insane. That's bonkers. You imagine seven children at once. Nope, don't want, nope. (laughs) I'm good. I'm set. Um, The musical version of Disney's Lion King set a Broadway record at $2,700,000 in daily ticket sales. The Jackal, starring Bruce Willis and Richard Gere, debuts and takes the box office crown. And Candle in the Wind, 1997, Something About the Way You Look Tonight by Elton John, continues its run atop the music charts. I am so ready to stop saying that title. (laughs) Daniel, what else was on? (laughs) For what else was on that evening at 8 p.m., friends checked in with the episode The One with Chandler in a Box. I can only assume that uh, Matthew Perry is dead after this episode. Uh, at 8.30 p.m., uh, we do have a Friends rerun, double double shot of Friends this evening, which can't bode well for Union Station. Uh, can't imagine that show is long for this world if they're already preempting it for Friends reruns, but uh, we shall see. At 9 p.m., Seinfeld checked in with the episode The Betrayal, and at 9.30 p.m., Veronica's Closet, the episode Veronica's First Thanksgiving. This week's episode had 33.4 million viewers tuning in. The episode is directed by Darnell Martin, doing her second of two episodes. Previous one of hers we talked about was Ground Zero. And this week's episode is written by Neil Baer, doing his 11th out of 18 episodes. This is the first time we've seen Neil since Calling Dr. Hathaway midway through last season. Previously on for this episode is brought to us by Mark, and we open the actual episode proper with Carol on the Riverwalk. Uh, Mark catches up with her, and turns out she didn't sleep on the red-eye back from California, and Mark, but Mark is already perky and jogging, because... Ew, why? <laughs> I would be falling over. Uh, she tells him that people essentially thought he was an asshole for the for the whole time since his injury. Getting real, yeah. yeah. That's nice. Uh, and he gives Carol the he gives Carol the note from Doug that we re- referenced at the end of the last episode. Which is weird. You would have thought Doug would have given it to her when they were together, but I guess he had already handed it to Mark. So yeah, who knows? I would imagine but, uh, that this. Plus- I would imagine that this too is related to what we were talking about at the end of last week's episode that I think Clooney's off filming that movie with Jennifer Lopez. So that's probably mm. why they had to write him out for a couple episodes. But then we wouldn't have, also we wouldn't have uh, the silly B plot oh. of this episode. Ugh. Ugh. We'll, we'll get there. Um, but then we go over to Carter asking Anna for help on a shoulder reduction. And he's trying to make small talk with her as they're popping this guy's shoulder back into place. And he asks if she's still angry and she totally just blows him off. And she's like, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And just walks away. Like she doesn't want to deal with Carter. Just like leave her alone. Carter, learn boundaries, go away. And then Romano and Peter are having a locker room chat. And I just first off want to note Romano is super confident and is just, like, all about his business while Peter's just, like, trying to change a little bit more, like, off to the side. <laughs> Romano's just strutting around the whole locker room. But he um, talks to Peter about his reservations regarding Peter joining the team because of his, quote-unquote, differences with Elizabeth. And, like, makes an illusion, you know, and if you have the time. 
because he mentions Reese, like, that you know, he knows he has a son, too. Mm-hmm. So we're going to see if these guys can play as a team, and we'll see how the Reese thing impacts it eventually. Then we go down to the ER, which is absolutely packed, and Carol and Mark walk in to the madhouse. Uh, it's packed because Cynthia fucked up her press release for the clinic and thought, so everyone thinks that the, cl- the free clinic starts today, it's actually supposed to start next week so yeah cynthia making a mistake what you can't see you can't see my shocked pikachu face but but i assure you it's here um carol just says start giving out numbers and we're gonna listen banks oh boy carol versus cynthia it's the, the fight we always knew we wanted so we come out of the intro with uh, Carol rounding up patients in chairs, asking for uh, volunteers to come back next week, and uh, nobody takes her up on it, unfortunately. Uh, Carrie comes in giving Carol some trouble about the clinic, because Carol had to take the day off uh, last minute to run the clinic and attend all these patients, and it's cutting into ER staff availability, so she's none too happy about that. But we get a new friend here, a new uh, nurse friend, lovable nurse Yosh Takata. Uh, coming down from nurse admin upstairs. So he's technically just a transfer. Um, but uh, Yosh here, of course, is played by actor Getty Watanabe. A total, oh, hey, it's that guy, especially of this era, like late 80s to late 90s, that decade. Definitely an oh, hey, it's that guy from stuff like 16 Candles, UHF, Gremlins 2, uh, a whole bunch of other stuff. Guarantee you've seen Getty in something. Um, but this is his first of 58 appearances through 2003. So very happy to have Yosh around. Uh, I love him he's so, so much. Good. He's so good. And like, just, I don't know. He's one of those like warm and fuzzy guys. Like when I see him in stuff, it's just like, oh, I love this guy. Like I always, I've never been yeah. unhappy to see him show up in something. And in this episode specifically, he is such a little cinnamon roll. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He It's a perfect introduction to him. Um, and of course we're introduced to him as he's spilling urine samples. So golden naturally, but no, he's one of those people. Like when you, when you think of, e- when I think of ER, I think of him, which is weird. Cause I so don't like, he's great. And I love his character, but he is not one of the people that pops to mind for me where I'm like, yeah, Yosh, totally. He's Maybe def- it's because he has one of my favorite, he, he is, uh, part of one of my favorite lines mm. when Mark is just running around the ER. I forget introducing someone i forget who it is i think it's like season six or seven but oh yeah he's like there's yosh takata wave hi to yosh yep <laughs> that 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 phrase just lives rent free in my head and yeah. has ever since the mid-aughts it it does make appearances in our apartment for far often than it should when we're not watching er for me he's just like emblematic of uh he's one of those characters who um signifies kind of a gradient shift in the era of where we're headed like mm. he doesn't make sense in seasons one through three obviously because he's not there but like this is this is for me one of those characters it's like oh okay now we're switching gears a little bit and we're headed into like the middle seasons and things have, we're, we're getting newer newer faces um and it, there is a, a bit of dialogue in here uh, it comes up later in the episode where um carrie says that he is replacing two nurses who have quit. So I would presume based on that, you know, obviously we don't know for sure, but I would presume one of those two nurses is meant to be Wendy. Um, right. Cause she's the only nurse we've seen face wise that has left. So, um, but then we see Jeannie and Doyle talking and Doyle tells her uh, to stand up for herself about the firing as uh, she is under the impression or, or 
not under the impression, but of the assumption that Jeannie is being let go because of her HIV positive status, which will definitely play heavily into the events of this episode. Yep. And Doyle is also saying that, you know, there's plenty of resources in the LGBTQ community that Jeannie could use regarding this because, you know, a lot of lawyers there have more experience on the HIV positive delegation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we go over to lounge where Cynthia pops in to talk to Mark. Uh, she tells him that she, that she missed him and gives it, gives him a passive aggressive. You didn't call. <laughs> got stage five. Clear. Uh, yep. And guess who uh, got the, that clinger, a tacky ass necklace from that pawn shop. I can't believe he actually bought it and gave it to her. Oh, yep. mm. And Connie just remarks that the coffee is terrible, and Cynthia's like, oh, I'm really bad in the kitchen. But, of course, Mark tells her it's great. Mm. Mark, come on. Lizzie, you would never do this to me, would you? You would tell me if my coffee was terrible? I don't drink your coffee. But, so. uh, okay, coffee was just... <laughs> well, there's your answer. I don't drink coffee at all. I don't drink coffee at all. You make me excellent I, tea. Okay, I, I meant, like, cooking or anything. You wouldn't pull a Mark. You would actually tell me if something needed improvement. <laughs> yeah. That's why... I tell you all the, t- I tell you all the time when, there, when there's something... A miss. We we have recipe discussions anytime we cook a new dish to yeah, figure exactly. out what notes need to be yeah. changed. Doesn't matter which one of us cooks it. We always feedback. Yeah, communication. Don't be Mark and Cynthia. Happy nine years, Lauren. Happy nine years, Lizzie. <laughs> um, but then from there we go on to our first trauma. An eight-year-old boy was involved in a hit and run. And whose films are those? We are back, gang. It is good. Let's go. Um, this kid's name is Rodney Price. Um, that's the name that's on his like binder that they found with him. And as they're looking at his x-rays, it turns out that his abdominal organs are all like reversed. They're inversed where they are placed. So uh, at my one of my old jobs, um, what part of my job was I was the like the CPR person for the uh, business. And so I had to teach the whole staff, uh, every year. Like I would have to bring in everybody in, in groups and run them back through CPR and AED stuff. And we, it was a gym. And so we had, uh, members we had, I think somewhere in the neighborhood of like 1500 members that would come and go. And one of our members, he was not somebody who came in very frequently. And I, by the time I was teaching, I couldn't even tell you if he was still a, an active member. It was just one of those things that had kind of gotten drafted into our overall, um, you know, spiel every year. Um, but we had a member at one point who had this condition, who had his, mm-hmm. all of his um, abdominal organs on the reverse side. So the, the, the long story short is that what, what played into it was that we had to tell people, um, you know, there is this one situation where it may come up where I'm telling you now, put the uh, pads for the AED on the uh, upper left <laughs> or uh, upper right chest and lower left side. But for this guy, it has to be reversed. It has to be, you know, uh, mirrored right and i was like but don't worry you know he carries like a he has like a bracelet or whatever that like something that signifies this but the looks i would get from people that were like so clearly like terrified that they were going to be the ones that this guy was going to have some kind of cardiac event around and they were going to have to uh remember that it was uh so it, this this is something that i have encountered yes yeah which good note um reminder everybody if you see somebody in medical distress always check for a med alert tag bracelet necklace etc because that shit saves lives yo absolutely uh but yosh hasn't really saved lives before he has no uh (laughs) turns out sweet baby yosh has no practical clinical experience he's yeah he's only worked in records so he's 
He's just going to be taking basic vitals and running immersion patients over to the ER triage area. Poor Yosh. Pressure. He's so sweet when he admits it, too. He's like, it was up in records. <laughs> I I know a lot about the patients, but I've never actually, like, d- I haven't done this in recent years. And just, he's great. And Carol's like, okay, well, just take vitals. Like, sit here, take vitals. Cool. Um, and Cynthia's talking to Mark and says that she thinks Carol is mad at her. And also tells Mark that the hospital lawyer dropped off papers for him regarding the civil rights lawsuit with the law family. Great. Cool, cool, cool. Um, Elizabeth and Benton are talking about the reversed organs case with Rodney. And Benton says he maybe wants to publish about it. And they're just kind of going back and forth talking about how great a case it would be to, like, note on. And Rocket... Romano interrupts and says that they should all operate together to see how they work as a team. You know, only if Benton doesn't mind. And Benton's like, no, sure, that'd be great. Fine. Y'all can come in. And then Carter, again, not having any boundaries, asks Anna if they can call a truce as they're wheeling in a homeless patient, completely disregarding this patient and just talking to her about how, you know, how it wasn't a big deal. Let's just let's just be friends again. Shut up, Carter. And look who the cat dragged in. <laughs> Henry's back. He's been finishing up his little brain blot research, whatever the hell he's doing, fucking nerd, uh, <laughs> things during, <laughs> during his ER rotation. And he needs his evaluation updated by Carter because there's a bunch of unable to evaluate. Is that what UE means? Yeah, yeah. I would Thank imagine. Thank you. Yeah. Um, he just says a bunch of UEs on his... Uh, transcript and Carter says he won't update until he sees proof can Henry can actually do the things since he never fucking showed up. I love that Carter calls him out on this. He's like, "You weren't here. I can't evaluate you. You never came." Yeah, it's true. But they make no mention of the other student who was with him. Who the two students that have come and gone since uh, his rotation started that also just disappeared and never showed up. So yeah, like Carter's like, "Oh, you know, does does Anna need a student?" And Anna's like, nope, I'm good. It's like, she had two that are just gone. Did she murder right? them? Where are they? At least Henry had the courtesy to come back. Like, the rest of them have all just disappeared. But, uh, so yeah, we will see more of Henry as we go along here. But we see Carrie approaching Jeannie in the pharmacy cupboard uh, regarding her a PA position at Atlanta General. So the uh, search for Jeannie's new place of employment continues. We go from there. We see Carol is pissed at Cynthia because Cynthia told a homeless shelter that it was a walk-in clinic day, and now a full busload of homeless families were brought over to be looked at. Uh, you know, so th- this is kind of a, like, both sides. I mean, like, I get both sides of, of the argument here where Carol calls Cynthia an idiot in front of pretty much everybody, like, calls her out, dresses her down in front of everybody, and Mark tells her, you know, not to do that, you know, not to dress in place down in front of the whole ER, which I'm sure, you know, First and foremost is probably like don't dress down my girlfriend in front of everybody. Right. But at the same time, he he does have a point. Like, yes, she's wrong here, but that is a shitty thing to do. Like, it's just a shitty thing to do generally to publicly dress people down like that in a professional environment. Really, in any environment, but especially in a professional environment. I would have cried like a baby if I was Cynthia immediately. Oh yeah, yeah, and I mean I think. I think almost anybody would in that situation. I mean, when a anytime a mistake is made like that, especially one on that large of a scale that has already has repercussions literally in front of you like that, like a giant bus of people being wheeled in, like I guarantee you nobody feels worse about that than Cynthia does. 
and then Carol's just kind of piling on on top of that. So just kind of you're kind of shitty. But uh, we then see Elizabeth and Peter operating on Rodney. Lots of photos being taken. Clearly, uh, you know, big, big plans for publishing with this patient. Uh, Romano wants to find the parents so that they can get photo releases for this. So he's already earmarked this for this is going to be a career maker. And then we go back to uh, Carter and the hapless Henry who's trying to evaluate an x-ray, uh, you know, to actually confirm he can do it because that's part of your evaluation. And Henry has no idea what the fuck he's doing. Just does not know the bones of the hand. And both Carter and Anna have really weird mnemonic device devices. And there's a really awkward discussion because Anna's is a bit more sexual. <laughs> well, there's that. And she also calls the bones completely different things from Carter. And it's like, wouldn't you think you'd call them the same thing? Yeah, there should be some amount of consistency between mnemonic devices. I've definitely heard, and I've actually, I think I've heard Anna's before. Having ta- I think so, too. Having taken anatomy and uh, some sports medicine courses, like, I'm pretty sure I have heard Anna's before. Um, but usually, like, there is a, a fair amount of consistency between mnemonic devices. It's just what the mnemonic things indicate change, like, the words right. of the mnemonic but change, but they mean the but same thing. They're completely different names, right? Too like the technical terms that they use. Yeah, so there it's a little, little sketchy there. Medical listeners, help us out. Who's right? You always all, y'all know better than us. Help us out. Um, and then Cynthia, oh no, sees Carol's note from Doug on a clipboard, and it's it just says C H on the front, and Cynthia thinks it's for her because her initials are also C H. Oh no. This can only end well. Um, but before we can see that train wreck of a situation, Trauma 2 comes in. And this is a non-venomous snake bite. A guy who is handling a, a snake, who we, we will learn a little bit more about later. He does come into play. And Carrie tells Mark that she needs the budget reviews completed so she can take them up to Anspa. Which will also come back to bite us all in the ass very <laughs> shortly. Yeah, and so yeah, as Lauren mentioned, the the non venomous snake bite patient. It's actually a, the, so we get the patient himself, and then we get a guy accompanying the patient. Both of which are kind of interesting in their own ways. Um, so this guy, they uh, the guy works for a reptile house, got bit by a python. The guy that's accompanying the patient um, is a guy named Jules Sylvester. That's the uh, I guess actor's name, but he's actually an actual snake wrangler. Uh, oh. which of course comes into play a little bit later. Um, but yeah, it looked, he had like all sorts of appearances. He was like kind of a semi, semi regular on like the late show circuits. Like he would do like Letterman and Jay Leno and stuff like that. Like he mm. would pop up with snakes and, you know, do the whole thing. Um, so that was his deal. Um, and then our patient here is a total, Oh, Hey, it's that guy. Like this is who I'm talking about when I say, Oh, Hey, it's that guy. Like this is a, like, S tier perfect example of somebody who will show up in literally anything and is always recognizable and it's always a good time. Uh, Dan Hadaya, who appeared in stuff like, uh, or Hadaya, depending on who you ask, but um, he appeared in stuff like Usual Suspects, Blood Simple, Clueless, uh, Mulholland Drive, among many, many others. He had a hundred, or has, he's still working, has 141 credits to his name. Um, this is his first of four appearances as what we will later find out is attorney Herb Spivak. It's first of four appearances through 2005. So he's going to be with us for quite a while. 
Um, actually, my questionable film that he was in that I remember him from is Dick. Yes, I was just going to say. Was, yep. He bears a striking resemblance both in physical appearance and voice to Richard Nixon and as a result has played him on screen, I think, no less than three times. Like, he has a real, and real striking resemblance with Nixon. He was in that movie with fellow ER guest star alum Kirsten Dunst. Hey, there you go. All comes together. Oh, fun fact. <laughs> but we go, we'll, we'll definitely see more of uh, Herb a little bit later in the episode. But we go for, from there out to the garage where we see Carrie. Um, she was alerted that, I think it was her lights were on or something like that. So, yeah. Some kind of ruse to get her outside. But it turns out Ellis is there, Clancy Brown. And says that Synergix got approved for the contract on the ER, and he has brought her this giant uh, bouquet of flowers to thank her and just generally be sleazy. Like the whole time he's talking, I was just like, <laughs> like just stop. And uh, Mr. Price has shown up looking for his son, and uh, Isaac Pr- is the his name's Isaac Price, and he recognizes Peter, and I recognize him. <laughs> as mercutio and link from well mercutio from romeo and juliet that the bosler and fever I was gonna say, excuse you romeo plus juliet it's nice 19- romeo plus juliet excuse me um everyone should go watch that movie also movies you should give a second chance if you haven't seen them since 2003 and 2004 <laughs> matrix reloaded and revolutions this guy plays link i also want to say another um future er cast member is in romeo plus juliet Oh, yes, he is. Um, yes, he yeah. is. Yep. John Leguizamo. Oh, yes, you're correct. You're yeah. correct. We could theoretically watch it. Oh, God. We could. We could, we, I know. We could I'm, relive, I'm too... relive my nightmare of 10th grade English. I'm with you, Daniel. I love that movie. Oh, God. Um, so, yeah, uh, Isaac here is played by actor Harold Perrineau. Uh, and like Lizzie mentioned, Romeo plus Juliet, uh, The Matrix Reloaded, and Revolutions. Uh, and the thing I recognized him from was Lost. He had a long-running uh, role on that show. Um, but he's been a, in a bunch of different stuff, too. Him and Dan Hedaya both big, oh, hey, it's that guys for this episode. But yeah, go watch The Matrix 2 and 3 if you haven't watched them. Uh, he's, I love his character. Um, he's uh, apparently knows Peter from high school. Like, they were in the class of 83 together, and Rodney lives with his mom, so that's why Mr. Price wasn't immediately available. Yeah, and I think he also says that's why he, like, doesn't know his blood type or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. But yeah, very, very sweet father figure in this episode. Um, and then we see Carol shuffling around at Admit looking for something specific, a little distressed. And um, before she can really find what she's looking for, cough her letter, cough... Doyle tells her to get the patients out of chairs because they could get cited for blocking the fire exits with how many people were there. So it's like, okay, great. Where am I going to put them? Um, And the snake handler, as Herb is being examined, the snake handler pulls the python out for exam so they can get a swab of her mouth and Uh confirm if she she has any dangerous bacteria there, even though she's non-venomous, like an animal's mouth can still be filthy and they can still have other stuff going on. So like he holds her real gentle and is like, okay, go, go ahead. I've got her. She's not going to bite. And I think it's Mark 
doing the swab Mm -hmm. and he looks so scared to get close to the snake and i just have to say i love snakes when i was a kid i would have loved a pet snake and i never got one lizzie i will never make us have a pet snake (laughs) yeah no i would burn the apartment down but i i love them i think they are the coolest like they were one of my dream pets i wanted a garter snake more than anything well, you can't always get what you want. Clearly, because I'm 29, 28, almost 29, and I still don't have a pet snake. So my my life's a sham. Um, but then we have Anspaws doing rounds and showing Rodney off to the residents and the students. And after that goes on, Romano comes up to Peter and asks to get consent for the blood tests because, you know, they want to see certain genetic markers and things that will be great for the case study and the paper that they want to publish. And he's like, hey, you know the dad. You have an in. Go see if we can get these blood tests. Um, and Yosh is just... He just needs to be protected at all costs here, <laughs> folks. He just... He is so turned around and so adorable. And Jeannie meets him and he says he's the new RN. And she's taken aback that he got past the hiring freeze. And he's like, what hiring freeze? He did, I just put in for a transfer and got approved. I didn't know there was one. Hmm. Mm. This is fine. Yeah, this is definitely not going to become a major plot point not at all uh but we go from there we see snake bite guy talking to mark and we find out he's a lawyer and works just works with snakes on the side you know just this is a side gig uh so we'll definitely find out a little bit more about him uh and then we go back and we see genie and uh telling carol that al's foreman job fell through in atlanta and uh offers to help carol with the clinic because she's so so swamped and carol's like oh i appreciate that but you know carrie says i can't use any of the er staff to which genie replies well what's she gonna do fire me good on you genie isn't that a, i was gonna say isn't that a beautiful power to have it really uh, is that where it's like you no I really don't want to do something yeah yeah um and then oh god cynthia comes up to mark saying how romantic he is and they're by the elevator and she says she read the note, which was Carol's note, thought it was to her. He has no clue what she's talking about, but lies like he does. And she, and as Mark's getting in the elevator, she goes, did you mean it? Then my answer is yes, I will. With the scariest, like, hand cover giggle as the elevator door is closing. And it's like, this is what a serial killer looks like. Mm. She goes, like, oh, she, so. she goes from, like, like, b-tier uncomfortable awful this episode to like top tier like she is like i already wasn't a fan of her character but after this episode i'm just like please leave please be gone yeah so i want to say this here and this this is oh my god a little inappropriate but i was like okay either she's talking about a proposal or anal (laughs) (laughs) like what a spectrum you're not wrong what a spectrum yeah because I was like, I was like, okay, for a woman like Cynthia, what weird two things would garnish that reaction? Oh man! So sorry, like, sorry, listeners. Or but... like the lightest B- BDSM you've ever experienced in your life. Okay, well. Ah, oh, we love you, Daniel. Yeah, yeah. Here we are. It's it's the scary giggle that really locks it in. Then I'm like, ugh. Uh, but we go up to the <laughs> OR floor once again, uh, back to Ro- back to young little Rodney's, and Benton is checking in on him uh, and talking to Mr. Price, and they're concerned that Rodney's blood might not clot properly. And Mr. Price notes that there's been a lot of doctors in making sure that Rodney's okay. 
Um, Peter tells him what's up with Rodney's genetic difference and asks if they can do blood draws, blood draws to do a genetic study and gets the approval no problem because Mr. Price is under the impression that somehow the study will help his kid. And nobody nobody clarifies yeah, this no, at all. Nobody's going to correct him. Uh, we go from there for a little comic relief. We go down and we check in with Henry, who is examining a patient. And a nice bit of character continuity here since his last appearance in the ER. He still has no clue how to run a physical. Uh, has not improved on that skill whatsoever. Carter has to walk him through every step of the process. And, of course, the patient has no definitive answers for him. And Henry's just absolutely clueless on everything. So, again, like I said, nice bit of character continuity. He hasn't <laughs> hasn't magically improved his diagnostic skills in his... Uh, month or two off from the er since the last time we saw him no it's fine um but then we have carol asks Jeannie to write her a script for something and as they're talking um like they're talking about you know getting getting the clinic set up and everything else and carol says well you got to fight for what you believe in and Jeannie says well what if you don't have the ammunition to which carol responds look for it hmm 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 Hmm. But uh, Benton starts drawing the blood from little Rodney, and they see that it's not clotting whatsoever. And just out of nowhere, Rodney goes down hard. Uh, his all of his stats, are, all of his all of his functions are bottoming out, and his lungs are filling with blood. And it just seems it just seems to happen out of nowhere. Mm. I don't know if it's because it's a child, yeah. um, or the sudden nature of it, or what. But this this was a much more um traumatic trauma to watch like it was a much more kind of harrowing thing to watch than what we usually get for some reason like i don't know if it again because it's a child or like they have to they have to really work on him because they're trying to keep his lungs from filling with blood so they have to like quickly take the tube off and flip him over on his stomach and like it's just kind of it's a very like harrowing uh process to watch the the um prosthetics is the wrong word but like the props work Mm -hmm on this and the sheer amount of fake blood they use for the sequence is so garish and well done but um mark is then at the admit desk looking for cynthia and sits down at her chair and starts going through the drawers finds her purse and tries to find the note to find out what the hell he's committed to and he's digging through the admit desk and connie gives him shit about the two of them like oh you know Dayton employee just she's just sassy and I love it because everybody thinks this is a terrible idea because it is because it is and Carrie walks up while he's while this is going on and asks him about the budget approval which he still hasn't you know gotten back to her and he complains about the $25,000 more that she gave herself in response to the additional admin duties each year from her taking over for Morganstern temporarily and that's roughly what they had to trim down for for firing the PAs. Jeannie overhears this and is not pleased. Not great, Bob. Yeah. Holy. Justifiably. Yeah, oh yeah. Mad Men reference for two people. <laughs> Sorry. It's us two. Then we go from there back to Henry taking a patient history. Uh, now he's got the sniffles out of nowhere. New New symptom for Henry here. Uh, he's taken 90 minutes to do this history. Uh, and he's working off of a duplicate chart because he took one when uh, Anna walked in as well. So things are going great for Henry. He's really he's learning a lot on this ER rotation. Uh, we then see Carol examining a little boy after giving him a vaccine because his mother says that his chin is bugging him and he cannot feel Carol pressing on it at all. 
So this is going to be Carol's kind of little mystery mystery goose chase for the rest of the episode. We cut back to Rodney, and this is where it really gets upsetting because, like Lauren was saying with the uh, props work, there's just blood everywhere at this point. Like, just things have not gotten better in the time since we last left Rodney. Um, in fact, he has been flatlined for 20 minutes, uh, and they have had no luck. Uh, and Mr. Price, of course, has had to bear witness to the whole thing, and I can't even imagine how traumatic that must be. And uh, we're, you know, we're 29 minutes in the episode, and we're going to get our first audio clip in here. Uh, Jeannie has some words for Carrie. <laughs> get him up to CT. Keep the seat collar on until radiology clears the C-spine. You want films? No, the neurosurgeon will take them. Carrie, I'd like a minute with you. Sure. Jeannie, what is it? I want to take a look at the budget. The ER budget? That's right, yeah. Jeannie, I told you, I, it's nothing personal. I tried everything I could to try and keep you here. The numbers just don't support it. Well, if I'm being fired on the basis of the budget, I just want to see the numbers, not hear your interpretation of them. Believe me, I've gone over them with a fine-tooth comb. It's, it's not fair, but that's the way it is. How do you justify the hiring of a new nurse? Yoshikata was hired to replace two nurses who've left. Mm-hmm. What about giving yourself a raise? Salaries are confidential. I sure as hell know why. Jeannie, I'm sorry. I can't I'll help I'll find you. someone who can. Mm. Goddamn Gloria Rubin. Back on the menu, boys. Mm-hmm. So then we have Carter and Henry steal Anna's patient because of the duplicate chart issue. Uh, Henry forgot to sign him out on the board to begin with, which is why there's a duplicate chart issue. And they have two different treatment routes. Um... Carter wants to go surgical, Anna doesn't, but Anna does not want Carter agreeing with her just for the sake of peacekeeping. She wants him agreeing because she's right. These two really just need to leave each other alone. Um, Carrie goes to Mark and gives him shit for disclosing the salary thing to Jeannie. Mark confirms he did not, in fact, do that, and Carrie's left with her mouth on the floor like, what? <laughs> um, people, people don't want to backstab me? What? I just messed up on my own? I shouldn't have talked about this in the middle of the admit desk. Poor life choices. Um, and then Mark asks Carol what was in the note. And she says, oh, you know, I lost it before I could read it. It was a real bummer. I left it over here. It must have thrown it out or got lost in a chart. And as that's going on, she asks Mark for help searching on Medline for cases that match her the little boy with the numb chin but she searches a really complicated like <laughs> medical terminology for it and he's like no just try searching numb chin <laughs> and then she finds it immediately and it's just a really cute moment between the two of them but oh no it's the medical version of so, like an it person being like well i don't know what the fuck happened with this with, with this network <laughs> server or something mm-hmm. google google everything um or bing if you're into that um <laughs> What? I just it was a weird Bing flex. I was just not prepared for it. <laughs> hey, you get Microsoft reward points. It's that vaccine talking. I'm just saying Yeah, I was gonna say I'm just saying it's just my COVID vaccine talking. Uh but we go back up. Uh Benton is apologizing to Isaac uh about Rodney, you know, saying we did everything we could, yada yada yada. Uh then asks that they can perform an autopsy and Isaac, you know, wants to know if that's because something went wrong and uh no it's they want to study his body because of his unique organ situation and isaac doesn't want his voice studied and gives a very passionate shouting down to benton 
um, with some excellent performance, but some really weird audio balancing, mm-hmm. which we can only guess is because the show obviously is meant for TV, so they don't want to blow up people's speakers. Right. But still, like it's oddly quiet shouting. <laughs> at least, at least on the Hulu, that's what that's where we watched it. Yeah. So, um, but it's so strange to see Benton back down. Yeah. Once. Yeah. It's very unbenton like. There's a there's a kind of a semi important plot element that I think we sort of glance just glanced by earlier in that when he's talking to Romano uh, Benton that is when he's talking to Romano um, early on in the episode in the locker room you know he asks him about Reese Romano asks him about Reese and kind of what the the situation is there and he's like oh he lives with his mother so I see him when I can right and then almost immediately after that he's confronted with this patient who the father is also kind of uh, playing catch up with his son's condition because he lives with his mother and he's not, you know, con- a constant presence in the boy's life and everything. And so that I think that heavily plays into Benton's reaction to this whole situation where he is so clearly affected I, by it. I did not even put two and two together on that one. So good catch. Yeah, it's it's definitely like I think a, a, it's central to kind of Benton's reaction to this whole thing, and I think makes him more more likely to back down in a situation like this because he's putting himself in uh, Isaac's shoes here. So uh, it, it's a really well done story. It's probably, I think the best storyline in this episode, I think for sure. Um, but we go from there for now down to Henry and Carter working a trauma. And as they're working on it, uh, Henry starts having a major aller shows signs of having a major allergy attacks, trying to loosen his ties, having trouble breathing. And then he finally just collapses on the floor and Carter, I believe, is the one that says, do me a favor, just slide Henry out of the way. Like, he's he's still yeah. under the impression that this is just Henry being Henry and is, you know, he, he just kind of got flushed. So he's he just fainted that way. Yeah. Um, but then I think it's Lydia who goes to check on him and, and alerts Carter, like, uh, he's a little cyanotic. Like, we might want to check on him. And then that's, yeah, that's when Carter's demeanor kind of changes and he sends Lydia off to go get an attending and... Mark comes in, takes over the trauma, and Carter and the rest of the gang take Henry over into trauma two, where Carter has to intubate Henry, and you know they're they're trying to kind of workshop this and figure out what's going on. And he says, "Well, he's always complaining. He's a hypochondriac." <laughs> um, right, like he's been complaining the whole episode, but he was also complaining the last time. Right, he was yeah, on. it is. Like I said, it's pretty so. pretty consistent character work with him in the short amount of time we've seen Henry. Um, his pulse ox is down to eighty two, which, if you will recall from previous episodes pulse ox needs to be somewhere between 95 and 100 anything less than 95 and you've got severe breathing issues and 82 is really bad um his hands are both lobster red and uh we should point out too that when they were working on the trauma he was wearing latex gloves so he has developed the allergy to latex that is the thing that is causing his uh anaphylactic reaction here um, and as all this is going on, Snake Guy, uh, Herb, the attorney, is watching them uh, like a creeper, just kind of like hanging yep. out, you know, and that'll we, we will we will figure out why here very shortly. Go I just want to also add, like, we've seen Henry wear gloves. Like, I know I know this is something that gets discussed a little bit later yeah. um, among fans mm-hmm. and listeners. But I just want to know my thing when we were watching this was I was like, 
the fuck? We've seen him in the ER wearing gloves before with no issues. We've seen him in labs wearing them with no issues. But that gets countered a little bit later. So we'll get yeah, there when we get it, there. I just want overall, to it's a good try, I think, to give all right. to give all parties involved something to do. But ultimately, I don't think it serves any of the parties involved particularly well. And we, like you right. said, we will get into that a little bit later. But I don't think Carter, Anna, or Henry is served particularly well by this little comedy C plot. Uh, and we'll, nope. we'll get into the why a little bit later. Uh, and after that, we go back up to the surgical floor for our next audio clip. Uh, Romano has pulled Peter's side to have a little chat. Peter, I'd like to speak to you. Oh yeah. I'd like to speak to you as well. Um, I've been reconsidering the possibility of joining your team. I understand Mr. Price refused an autopsy on his son. You try everything to convince him? He doesn't want us carving his boy. Explain to him how our research might benefit others? He doesn't want it. Give him some time. He was emotional. I don't feel comfortable doing that. How do you think we've made advances in heart surgery and transplantation? By refining our procedures on patients and then studying the results. That kid was a freak of nature, and we have a responsibility to do research. That freak was a little boy named Rodney Price whose father doesn't understand why he lost his kid, and all you want to do is cut him despite his father's wishes. We're scientists, Peter. We're not allowed sentimentality. Now, you go back and get consent, because I want it. Now, you get somebody else to do it. Having a kid changes you, doesn't it, folks? Sure. I wouldn't know. I've heard enough anecdotal evidence to see that's probably the case, but it's, it's nice to see Benton standing up for himself for the right reasons for a change, you know, instead of just Mm -hmm. doing it out of pure self-righteousness. I was going to say it's for himself and also for his patient. Right. Well, father, family of his now deceased patient. Yeah. He's not doing it. Yeah. Like you say, he's not doing it for self-serving interest. He's just looking out for someone. Yep. Which is, I'm going to say this, this is kind of a growth moment for Peter. Yeah. Like, yeah. season one, he would have completely... He would have been asking like, for been consent this- before they'd even, like, called time of death on the kid. Like, they would have... Right. He would have had no problem with it whatsoever. Ah, uh, slow burn character development pays off, gang. That's um, why we're here. <laughs> yay! But then we go back down to the ER, and the little boy with the numb chin has cancer. Turns out this is a very like rare, um, rare way for a certain type of cancer to manifest. And Carol lets Carrie know, and Carrie's like, "Well, you have the relationship with the child and the mother already. I think you should be the one to tell her." And just leaves. That's this is one of those times where I feel like they stretch the definition of Carol's role, <laughs> like well that for, that for dramatic also, purposes. That and also, I think this is one of those moments that gives Carrie a terrible reputation. Yeah, yeah, it's not a good look for Carrie, but I just, like, even even if Carrie was busy and swamped and other things, like, I just can't imagine a scenario under which it would be Carol's job to handle this. Not at all. Not at all. Uh, and then we come in really quickly with the uh, audio clips here. Uh, let's, let's set up a little bit of more of a storyline surrounding snake man and mark and then i plea bargained her down to a misdemeanor not two weeks after she shot a guy no. <laughs> a 
Oh, Mark, listen, you could have saved yourself a whole bunch of urgent phone messages if you'd have told me Herb was on board. I didn't know you two knew each other. Oh, yeah. I served on the trial lawyer's banquet committee last year. Herb was our keynote speaker. You know, I've been filling him in on that law family suit. Ah, you got yourself quite a little mess, Doc. Yeah, I've decided to ignore the whole thing. Oh, wrong impulse. You get slaughtered. Listen, you better file this right away to avoid a summary judgment. Now, Mark, the hospital's board of directors is gonna be very relieved to hear that you have such excellent representation. You know, you came about this close to losing your job. Listen, Herb, if you have any questions at all, please, just give me a call. I shall, I shall. Take care of yourself, Alan. You too. Mark? Why did you let Alan believe that you're representing me? Honestly, Doc, he's a lousy lawyer. He jumps to conclusions. Nevertheless, I could represent you. I think your fee would be a little too steep for me. 400 an hour with a $10,000 retainer fee. <laughs> I figured. But honestly, I don't need the money. I'm bored. I'm looking for new challenges. Here's the deal. Let me shatter you. You throw in a couple of procedures. Nothing big, you know, maybe a couple of stitches here and there. And I'll make your little lawsuit vanish just like that. Gratis. This is going to lead to some very funny moments in the next episode or two. I forget exactly how it pans out over the next few episodes. but uh, I just love Mark's in trouble for being a questionable doctor. So he pays his lawyer, who is covering him for being a questionable do doctor, by letting the lawyer be a questionable doctor. It all fits. It's all, yeah. it's all great. Ethics abound in this ER. Get yourself a criminal lawyer. Yes. Oh, we need to catch up on that. <laughs> Ay, ay, ay. Wait, oh, Better Call Saul. Yes. I was like, I was like, we've watched Breaking Bad through at least three times. No, better Call Saul. <laughs> so uh, we go from there, and uh, we see one of very few uh, actual significant appearances of Elizabeth in this episode. She's been kind of pushed to the sidelines in this episode a little bit, um, but uh, she got the consent to autopsy young Rodney. Uh, and we find out that Benton made it onto Rocket's team after all, uh, purely for because he decided to stand up to Romano. And Romano's on that weird like power tip where like challenging his authority is also how you gain his approval. It's great, love it. Not for long. Yeah, <laughs> not for long. Um, we then go back to the trauma room where Henry has uh, roused and asks what happened. <sighs> Is it just me? Because this is obviously, you know, it's played for laughs. And I mean, it's as it should be. It's a it's a comedic storyline. But is it me or was he like hamming it up just a little too much with this? It was too much. Oh, he was. It was far yeah, too much. Chad Lowe is just doing and it's a because, bit like, too much. It's because like the angle they at on the gurney. It's like, hi, Carter. Hi, Anna. Like, yeah. it's like it. 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 it changes his voice to begin with and, and then, you were there and you were there yeah something in, and there was this bright light something about it just didn't really sit right with me it was just like yeah i get that this is supposed to be funny but it's it's not it's not hitting me the way that it should uh but yeah. it's more sad than i almost anything like not like sad like in a like a in a teary way but like sad in a like Dude, yeah kind of way. yeah it's it's very strange like it, it would be one thing too if this was the last time we ever see henry like if he gets rolled out and this is you know the end of his story but like we're gonna see him again so it's just it's strange it, it's the, the whole storyline i think just kind of doesn't work but um he, he talks about how he was watching above his body and how they saved his life and everything and he's very grateful and he he reaches out and grabs both of their hands as they're rolling the gurney away it does this weird like 
reaches his arms up over his head as they're pulling the gurney out and it just like i said the whole thing just kind of didn't work for me but uh that's all we'll see of henry for this episode um but then elizabeth sees carol sitting in a corner at like the nurse's station and it looks like she's reading her love letter but it, it turns out she might be working on one of her own and it's weird here how personal she is with carol because i don't think we've ever really seen them talk more than once and so she's like oh is it like the kind of love letter that makes you want to weep or the kind that makes you want to go get naked <laughs> and it's like do you know this person that you're asking this of? And I get that Elizabeth's supposed to be like fun and feisty and that's part of her character. And she's just always a little bit more forward with these things, but it's just like, what the hell? And then they go for drinks together because Carol's by herself and Doug's not back yet. So they go grab a drink Yeah, and it's a really odd. I think the only time that the two of them have been on screen together prior to this has been when she was kind of quasi hitting on Doug and Carol got pissed and like stormed out of the room. So like her only like, at least that we've seen her, yeah, her only one-on-one right? interaction with, with Elizabeth was not a positive one. And now it's like, Oh yeah, let's go for drinks. Let's be friends. Like it's, and I don't, I don't okay. really think this goes Thank anywhere you. either. I don't think they end up like, they don't end up being buddies or anything. <laughs> it's just very, very odd. I had completely forgotten about that too. So yeah, this really like triply doesn't make sense. And then we're going to move up. Uh, where even is Zanspa's office? Upstairs. It's on the surgical floor. It's it, might not be on high. it might be on surgical floor. Yeah, we're going to move up to the upper echelon of the of County General for our last audio clip here. Uh, Jeannie, Anspa, and Carrie all, are all meeting to discuss Jeannie's situation. It is an unenviable job running the ER and making difficult cost-cutting decisions. I got your message. Jeannie came in quite upset about the budget and I was just explaining that it appears that you treated her honestly and fairly. She gave herself a $25,000 raise. That comes from the administrative budget. I understand that's your story but I don't buy it. I think something else is going on. And what would that be? My HIV status. Jeannie. I believe that's why I'm being fired. I see. Well, um, let's not do anything rash. I am uh, late for a dinner at the moment, but uh, tomorrow I can give the budget another more thorough review. We have been over these figures a dozen times. You told me we had to cut PAs. Jeannie, why don't you give Carrie and me another day or two to recheck our figures? Thank you, Dr. Anspa. I will. Go, she, Jeannie. Yeah. She found that ammo. Yeah. Yeah, like I like I, you know, her the basis of her complaint here is, I think, factually wrong. Like, I don't think that she is being fired or being uh, laid off because of her HIV status. But what a baller move by Jeannie. Like, that doesn't matter. Like, from her standpoint, it's about survival. Like, she's she's fighting for her livelihood, basically. And she's using every trick in the book every every bit of ammo she has like go go genie yeah i'm gonna do everything i can to not talk about this next scene. oh boy what a fucking would you like me to weird weird place to close would you like me to talk about it, lauren lizzie will you please take us out on this one i oh i can't ew mark and cynthia this is one of uh. in a in a you know sex scenes are nothing new in film and television both uh 
but this might be in the top five worst ones I've ever seen. Like this is one of, and it's also like, it's it's also one of the raunchiest that ER has done, and it's always Mark. Why is it always Mark that's having these like, like him with Jen, uh, him with Cynthia? Why is it always? It's Mark? because. Anthony Edwards looks like an everyday man. Yeah. They're, they're, so you have to give the illusion that the everyday man can sleep with someone as beautiful as Mariska Hargitay. Yeah. But as the everyday woman, I'd rather see George Clooney. That's fair. It's just like, it's not sexy, first of all. Like, if you're going to do a sex scene, at least no. at least it, sh- it should no. at least be sexy. This is not sexy. This is like, like Lizzie said, or, this is just gross. Like, this is just disgusting. And it's not, an, it's not a disgusting in the fact that it's like, raunchy i mean raunchy yes but like it's it's not because they're pushing boundaries and they're like ooh, it's really it's no it's just like a visceral reaction where your your immediate reaction is to go no 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 stop this stop this stop this gross put it away like it's okay so i i am gonna frame um they're they're fooling around like we see some i think we see some side boob whatever but they're both just giggling they're clearly wasted they're doing the thing where you're like doing shots together and you're like eating the lime out of each other's mouths after you do a shot of tequila and lick the salt off, whatever. And then like as that's happening, Cynthia's giggling again and is like, did you mean everything in the letter? And he still has no freaking clue. And he's like, yeah, sure. And she goes, well, I've been thinking about it more and I won't. And he, he goes, you won't. She goes, I won't. Not unless you do first. And it's like, okay, it definitely wasn't marriage. And then that's where we fade do- out is with them cackling and it, it goes on for so and long. That's the other problem. It's really probably, it's really, it's probably only 30 seconds, but it's 30 seconds more than like, we need. I was, I was yeah, like, we were making such a big deal. of this. I scene. was yelling at my television by the end of it. I was like, make yep. it stop, please. Yep. End this episode. Like, oh uh, yeah. What a strange, weird note to end on. Ugh. Yeah. Like they should have stopped it with Jeannie being powerful. Yeah, like what's called it good? Because again, it, for one thing, they do this so often. I mean, like it's not like an every episode thing, but it's happened more than a couple of times now, where they have chosen the strangest possible ending out of their bag of endings to choose from. Like, right? What this would have made perfect sense to follow the Elizabeth and Carol moment. That storyline is related. It's a similar theme. It's a similar type of situation. Like, it, it, it flows very nicely one into the other. Why didn't they go directly from Elizabeth and Carol's conversation into this weird bullshit? And then so that we can then pivot out of it and end the episode on something that actually fucking matters. Like, that's almost like a good cliffhanger to take us into the next episode. But instead, we got to end with them fucking swapping lime slices and being weird. Like, it's just, ugh. the whole thing was just bleh. gross. I hated it. I just, I'm just living for the ASMR of Daniel's. <laughs> it's just things that, things that make you want to go. Blah. Yeah. Strange place to end. And then we get a, a strange <sighs> little uh, production gaffe in the closing credits uh, where they misspelled Michael Crichton's name uh, instead of hmm. a name that's on literally every episode. And they somehow managed to like, not just copy and paste from the last 70 plus episodes that have come before now. Uh, they spell it instead of C-R-I-C-H. They spell it C-H-R-I-C-H. And Daniel, I want you to know, I was staring at the notes for a good three minutes while we were talking about that, reading it and trying to figure out what the mistake was, because <laughs> my brain just was was like autocorrecting as I was reading yeah. it. So I could not spot the difference until about 10 times in reading it. 
thoughts on the episode? I'm going to give it a solid B minus. Oh, I think the flow could have been a lot better. Like there's some D there's some good stuff mm-hmm. in here. There's some good stuff. Yeah. Like um, the whole genie storyline. Excellent. All of the stuff with Benton and the kid. Excellent. But there's a little bit. It's just it just didn't flow very well. This is one where I question. Yeah. Like like we've like we mentioned before, the scene order and the length of the scenes and editing and yeah. didn't quite do it. Didn't, didn't quite do it for me in that regard. But, you know, in regards to like the actual like story content, I think it was a pretty good one. Yeah, with that, I'd say probably a C plus. Pretty forgettable. Like things happened yeah. that needed to happen. It moved the plot along for the overarching season, but yeah, eh. yeah. we're in episode eight of a twenty-two episode season. Yeah, the the so. the good in this episode is pretty good, and the bad is really bad. Like that's yeah. the problem, that, and that's how you end up at that C plus B minus kind of area. Is that like the the stuff like all like what Lizzie said, the 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 genie stuff, the Benton stuff, all of that works really really well, but it is just horribly dragged down by uh, Mark and Cynthia and uh, Carter and Anna and Henry. Like both of those plot threads just do not come together in this episode, and it it the whole episode suffers as a result. So we seem to be getting a lot of these. I mean, is that I mean, just me? I mean, it's bound to happen as the show goes on and as they stretch out and, like, That's continue fair. to figure out their pacing with certain things and as they add more characters, swap yeah. things out. Like, it's going to happen. It just feels like we've we've used that particular criticism a lot. And, I mean, you know, well, it pops up a lot. It pops up it, a lot. So. That's the other thing. They can't all be yeah, winners. I, I don't think yeah. it's happened as much as you're thinking, at least not lately. There was definitely a time where it was happening more frequently. Um but like Lauren said, they're adding new, a lot of new characters, a lot of new fa- like you, you think about just since the beginning of this season, we have added Romano, we have added um, Elizabeth. They added they Elizabeth. added Delamico at the very tail end of season three, so she's still getting worked in. Yosh now, like they're uh, Cynthia, like they they've added a lot of yeah. new faces over the course of just nine or ten episodes. So they're clearly still trying to figure out how to work all of those new faces in. Um, and in like Delamico's case, they're never really gonna figure out how to do that. So her um, her right. arc is always gonna feel a little bit awkward because they're never really that there is no like aha moment where it's like the clouds part and they figure out suddenly how to use Delamico. They're just never gonna do that. And so we are gonna kind of like chug our way through this where we're like, oh, she's almost there, not quite, and oh, oh she's gone. Okay, great. And Cynthia is so viscerally uncomfortable as a character that it's like, get her yep. off my screen immediately. Like, I love Mariska Hargitay as an wait. actress, but holy shit, is this character awful. And I can't wait for her to be gone. Let her go solve yeah. crimes in New York. She's, she's beautifully played, but I'm so ready for Cynthia to yep. be gone. 100%. And I, th- what did our listeners I was going to say, I think, think there's some, some listener uh, feedback to that effect. Don't mind if I do. Um, first off, we have Charles A. saying, first time I remember Romano being an opportunistic asshole, but I'm glad Benton showed some backbone. And Michelle K. says, go Jeannie for standing up for herself. We all know Carrie fired Jeannie for putting in that chest tube and calling it a budget issue while giving herself a raise and hiring Yosh. Hey, Yosh, welcome. We love you. Um, Cher Horowitz's dad makes a cameo as Mark's future sleazy lawyer. Carter tries to apologize for being rich. And Henry... 
I have issue with this stupid random latex allergy thing. Now, I know allergies can appear suddenly, but he had a prior ER rotation and wore gloves in his lab. So the sudden deadly allergy the second he comes back to the ER just seems too convenient and unrealistic. And I know I saw in this dialogue, we had a follow-up comment to that saying one of our listeners had the unfortunate experience that she used to love to eat kiwis, eat ate kiwis all the time, and then suddenly couldn't anymore with this similar severity mm-hmm. of an allergy. So that's why I wanted to say, like, we know it does happen, but it just seemed way too, like... Convenient. Convenient yeah. for convenient this. Convenient is the word. So, listeners, we agree. Yeah, it, it like I said, the whole plot thread just doesn't serve any of the three of them particularly well. You know, like Carter, I think Carter is sort of, or at least he should be, in my opinion, beyond this as a character. Like, I feel like Carter should be doing more important things uh, as a character than fucking around with Henry and latex allergies and all this bullshit. Like, it just doesn't really do him any favors as a character. It's certainly not doing anything to elevate delamico and the like the pairing that they're clearly trying to to create between him uh between delamico and carter and it doesn't really do any like it's not like henry shines in this role either like henry as we were saying he kind of overdoes it he overhams it and it doesn't have the intended effect of making it even a memorable comedy plot so it's just very like flat on all sides like the other like carter's kind of wasting his time Delamico's not getting any extra rub from doing this, like any extra shine from doing this. And Henry seemingly is here for an unrealistic and unnecessary reason. So it's just, yeah. Eh, oh, for three. They just really needed, they just really needed a C plot. Yeah. They can't all be winners. All right. Well, that's fucking wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening. As always, the show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash the tone podcast for only a dollar a month. You can get access to our show notes each week. For only $5 a month, you can get access to the full season recap episodes, a free sticker featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry, and two-week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews. Also, once our stretch goals are met, you'll get access to a monthly bonus show called The Lounge, where we'll talk about whatever is going on for us in our lives and pop culture in that moment, as well as monthly movie reviews, where we watch a movie featuring an ER cast member and pick it apart. We'd also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at SetTheToneER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash the tone podcast, and we are at Sighting the Tone Podcast on Instagram. Also be sure to check out the official Sighting the Tone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. And Daniel, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is y-o-u dot e-l. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me on my personal Twitter at lowbob92345, kindly requesting that if you enjoy the show that you rate and review us on iTunes. Always important. Or your favorite podcast app. I don't know if you can rate and review on a lot of others. I don't know. If you can, do it. We, <laughs> we like you. your feedback. Please, yeah. we love you. Yeah, we love you. You love us if, you li- if you're listening to this stuff at the end here. so. And also, please get some stickers. They're yeah. all over our apartment. I want them. I want. I want them gone before we move. Please buy some stickers. They're in a drawer. I'm moving product. (laughs) You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at random gamer. That's J M three R as well as on the Popular Quartz YouTube channel doing a let's play series of Pokemon Shield. New episodes of that are out every Friday, and you can find those videos and more at YouTube.com/slash/thePopularCourt. And thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next time. Have a great week. (laughs) 